You've heard our open themes with listeners talking about their vocations. Missouri dairy farmers love issues, etc. And what they're doing while listening to issues, etc. This is Mark from Michigan, and I am a lawnmower listener. We love issues, etc. We're looking for more of these elements to include in our open themes. Tell us about your vocation, hobby, or what you do while listening to Issues Etc. Call the Issues Etc. comment line 24-7 at 618-223-8382. If you make a mistake, just start over. 618-223-8382. Thanks for listening and thanks for contributing to Issues Etc. 618-223-8382. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. You've seen it on social media already today, maybe even leading up to today. And of course, there will be images on the local news, the national news. There's always that image of someone getting ashes imposed upon one's forehead. Maybe it will be the Pope. He's getting a lot of news today because he went without a mask to carry out an Ash Wednesday mass. But there are all those pictures out there. Is there news In the season of Lent, it comes around every year, almost at the same time. Christians have been celebrating it for millennia. What is the news there, and how do the media cover it? Welcome back to Issues Etc. It's time to talk about media coverage of Lent. Terry Mattingly joins us. He's senior fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. He's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So we see all these pictures of ashes on foreheads or being opposed, or maybe it's the Pope hugging people during the scare over the coronavirus. These Lenten images, is there news in Lent? Well, I think the key to what you just talked about is the word image, in the sense that Ash Wednesday has always been very popular in newsrooms, because basically all you have to do is send someone out take a photograph of this event or, you know, shoot some video footage and you have quote unquote covered it. You're, you're good for Lent. You have, you have marked the calendar that Lent is there. I've always thought Lent is a much more important time of year in terms of some basic stories. This year, there's some interesting ones that I expect to see a lot of coverage with. Today, it's already a Chicago station already has jumped on the fact that the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Chicago has stated that meatless Fridays, and there are Catholics who still go without meat in Lent. Of course, the ancient tradition called for fasting from meat and dairy through the entire season, and that's a tradition that's still kept in the Eastern churches, both Catholic and Orthodox. But the Archdiocese of Chicago has ruled that basically, to put this in a headline fashion, you should not be eating an impossible Whopper on Friday. That the appearance of eating meat is the same thing as eating meat. Now, this is <laughs> this is really interesting for people in traditions 
where you're you're not just doing this on Friday, you're settling in for like a six or seven or eight week long siege of being vegan or this week in orthodoxy, we're vegetarian all week and then we go into veganism next week as Great Lent actually arrives. By the way, the tradition in the East, and I don't think I've ever seen a news article about this, the tradition in the East is that Lent begins for us this coming Sunday with a ritual called Forgiveness Vespers, which is really quite interesting and frequently quite moving, where basically everyone in the parish is encouraged to attend this service, and many, many will do so, and one at a time moving in a kind of a bicycle chain fashion Everyone ends up facing every other member of the congregation and bowing to them. Some people do full prostrations to the ground, bowing to them and asking for their forgiveness for anything that they have done to hurt them in any way during the previous year, to hurt them or fail them. That's kind of interesting, and that would that would make an interesting story at the same time. I'm thinking a lot of churches wouldn't want that covered because it would violate the privacy, you know, of this event, which can be quite intimate at times. You can imagine, I'm sure, at certain points in your life where facing your own children and asking for their forgiveness would be a very emotional thing in lights of some of the things that go on in life. So anyway, that's a story that I think would be hard to cover. Let me give you another valid story that I think not only could be covered, but should be covered. Lent is supposed to be a season of confession and repentance and almsgiving. The first of those, confession, you will frequently see in Roman Catholic dioceses, you will see some sort of program. The The usual name that's given to them is, we'll leave the light on for you. And the light on meaning that the priest will be available to hear confession, the light on the confessional or the light in the sanctuary. Roman Catholics are supposed to go to confession during Lent. This is still a part of the Catholic tradition. They're supposed to go more than that, but they really are supposed to go in Lent if they plan to receive communion at Easter. The same thing is true in Eastern Orthodoxy. We tend to go to confession at least in the three or four major penitential seasons like Nativity Lent and Great Lent. Yet, I've, you've heard me say it before, I think one of the great uncovered stories in all of American religion is the fading away of the tradition, the sacrament of going to confession in the Roman Catholic Church. I've seen statistics as low as 4 to 7% of Roman Catholics will go to confession during a year. I've seen some see, say that it goes up to 11 or 12 if you only count who goes once. But this used to be a major part of what it meant to be a Roman Catholic. And today it's almost gone, which means that under Catholic theology, I don't know how this would compare with Lutheranism, and I know there are some Lutheran churches where people do go to confession, but I don't know if there's a connection between the, the sacrament of going to confession and then the receiving of the sacrament of the divine liturgy or Holy Communion or Eucharist or whatever term is used in your tradition. 
But there's going to be lots of people receiving communion in Catholic churches on Easter that in the view of their church had sins they needed to confess before they went to that chalice. That's a huge story. One other one. This would be really hard to cover, but I think it would be valid. It would be interesting to see if the numbers go up for donations to local Catholic charities or other religious charities and the numbers of people volunteering to take part in those charitable activities and volunteer work. be interesting to see if those go up in Lent, because you would think they would, since that's another huge piece of the uh, ancient Christian tradition. Sarah Pulliam Bailey, a mutual acquaintance, writing for the Washington Post as their religion beat reporter, has put out a story today, and it kind of coincides with Lent and Ash Wednesday, but it also has its angle in the coronavirus scare. And basically, she's gone around asking both pastors and leaders of church bodies if they have any action plan for the eventual, some would say, inevitable spread of the coronavirus, and especially given the fact that there are practices in the church that involve gestures or even receiving from a common cup, from a yeah. chalice, that would raise in the minds of some some health concerns. Yeah, she was leading a discussion of that on Twitter a day or two ago, and those were stories that I mentioned in response to her request for story hooks, and I'm sure others did as well. I think just as important is the whole idea of children's ministries or nurseries, whereas the common chalice in orthodoxy, where we receive communion, where the wine and the bread is in the same chalice, and the priest puts communion, both bread and wine, in our mouths with a golden spoon. Um, that's a very visual symbol of the intimacy of Eucharist. Uh, now, Episcopalians still receive wine from the chalice. So you have um, you know, the interesting question there of whether there'll be any warning. I think the bigger question, however, in this flu season, and the number of people who have died in America of the flu this year should be getting a lot more attention than it is. If people want to link that to this virus coming out of China, then that's a valid way to connect it. But it's a big story in and of itself. And the, um, I think just as big as the image of the chalice and something that more churches could kind of identify with would be this question of what do you do during this season with the nursery, if your church has a nursery, or the children's programs that take part in your church. Lots and lots of germs shared. Needless to say, there are also lots of church-run daycare centers as well. And, and if we begin to see the spread of the coronavirus in America, one of the first things that's going to happen is people are going to stop taking their children to daycare. And that will then have a trickle-down effect on businesses and a lot of other things. How will church-centered daycare workers handle that? Terry Mattingly is our guest. We're talking about media coverage of Lent on this Wednesday afternoon, February the 26th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned.
Remember when education was about the fundamental skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic? And about reading great literature and studying history to give our kids a model for what it is to be a good person? Memoria Press's Classical Christian Curriculum offers that very model for your homeschool. Get $5 off your next order by using the coupon code LPR20. For more information, go to memoriapress.com. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Ad Crucem has crafted a series of posters to put what we believe, teach, and confess on display. See our Luther's Daily Prayers, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Liturgical Calendar, John 1 in Latin, and coming soon, the Athanasian Creed. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Lutheran Federal Credit Union serves the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod community with car and personal loans, mortgages, credit cards, checking and savings accounts. Lutheran FCU supports LCMS organizations with its Spotlight Ministry program, and Lutheran Federal Credit Union allows you to make purchases with Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Samsung Pay using your digital wallet. Learn more at LutheranFCU.org. Good for you. Good for the church. Lutheran Federal Credit Union. LutheranFCU.org. Our cities are some of the greatest mission fields on the planet, but the footprint of the church is shrinking. We dare not shrink from our cities. Christ is needed now in our urban areas. From chaos, turmoil, decay, death, and destruction, Jesus brings peace, hope, resurrection, eternal life, and rebuilding. And you can help by being a hero for the city. Find out how at lcms.org slash citymission or on Facebook at LCMS City Mission. Every city needs a hero. Capes and helmets not required. Smartest listeners in radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Cathedral Choir with the Lenten hymn, My Song is Love Unknown. It's playing right now on our 24-7 sacred music station, Lutheran Public Radio. Listen to sacred music for the season of Lent anytime, anywhere at lutheranpublicradio.org and on the LPR mobile app. 
We're talking about media coverage of Lent. Terry Mattingly is our guest. He's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, I want to come back to that WGN story on the Archdiocese there in Chicago. How well do you think it covered both the reasoning of the ecclesiastical authorities there on saying, you know, these meatless burgers are going to break your fast, and the actual history of why meat is not consumed by Catholics during certain times of the week or of the year? (laughs) Well, this was just a short little story, just kind of a novelty headline. There was a much more important story in the Washington Post that we wrote about quite a while ago at Get Religion that I thought did a much better job of some of the issues involved in this, and it came at it from the direction of kosher food and shrimp. I mean, of course, an Orthodox Jew is not supposed to eat shrimp because it's unclean. Well, what happens if someone manages to make a vegan plant-based shrimp that looks like a shrimp, feels like a shrimp, and sort of tastes like a shrimp. Although, I guess, how would you know what a shrimp tastes like if you don't, you're don't? you not supposed to eat them? But there was this very interesting discussion about the fact that the reality is you're not eating shrimp. The spiritual reality, you still want shrimp. Uh, years ago, I wrote a column about an um, Orthodox rabbi who did a sermon on the quest for the kosher cheeseburger. And the whole point here, you're not supposed to be eating foods made from milk with meat. A a kosher cheeseburger is supposed to be impossible. The the rabbi told me, said, you know, like, what is the point of this? What is it you're trying to get away with it? Because after all, it's either a cheeseburger or it's kosher. If it's kosher, it's not a cheeseburger. If it's a cheeseburger, it's not kosher. Well, this is actually a discussion that gets into some serious things related to Lent. And part of it is the fact that that there's a symbol that you're supposed to be giving up meat because meat is a luxury, yet in the ancient tradition, the Christians still ate things that they considered trash, things that was considered like the bottom of the nets, so to speak. So you can get into this interesting mental game where it is Lenten, to living in Baltimore, we talked about this a lot. It's Lenten to go to a crab feast and eat crab, which we think of as a luxury, but in the old days that was considered just kind of like eh, nothing, sort of trash food. Yet, which is more a luxury in modern America, a vegetarian-made hamburger or a crab fest? My wife and I were arguing about this last year, arguing in a good sense, kind of debating the merits. I mean, I don't hear many people questioning whether you should put soy milk in your coffee or your tea or use soy milk for anything else in place of regular milk. Most people don't consider soy milk a luxury. Aha, but what if somebody comes along and creates an almond milk ice cream with dark chocolate in it, which means it doesn't have dairy in it, and maybe some peanut butter, and all of a sudden they've made an almond milk ice cream that you basically can't tell from the real thing. Is that now a luxury? Is it 
spiritually better to eat almond milk ice cream than real milk ice cream? People can argue about these things all the time, but it, it, for people who do the full Lenten fast and go vegan, these are these are interesting questions. I mean, let's face it, Middle Eastern falafel is a meat substitute. I mean, and Arab Christians and people like me eat falafel all the time during Great Lent. Well, is is kind of a, a Middle Ages version of a meat substitute holier than eating a, an Impossible Whopper? You can go round and round. I guess the main thing is whether or not this is actually part of a discipline that you're still trying to follow in keeping with the community of your church and whether you're doing the other things that Lent are all supposed to be about, like prayers, almsgiving, the extra services that go with Lent, and I would argue most importantly, confession. The other thing that we see lots of coverage of this time of year and leads me a bit with a question back to you. Do many Lutheran Church Missouri Synod people do this give up one thing for Lent trick? Well, I wouldn't say so. It might kind of be popular piety. Most Lutherans wouldn't observe that, but you will find Lutherans fasting more during Lent or yeah. increasing those kinds of things. But the one thing, like you got to give up one thing, not so much. But I know it's it, very, I know you wrote about it, it's very kind of popular. It's another one of those things that reporters love, because now in the age of social media, there are ways to kind of document the story and do it without having to talk to real people. And that is like, what is Twitter giving up for Lent this year? Well, you quickly find that one of the things that Twitter is giving up for Lent is Twitter. Lots of people are trying to give up social media. I've seen people signing off of Facebook and some people saying goodbye to Twitter, I'll see you after Easter. That's a pretty interesting thought. What I've always found fascinating, however, is, and I've made at least two attempts to, to research this, I can't find where this give up one thing tradition comes from. It's not a variation on anything out of the ancient church. A couple of years ago, I wrote a piece about it, and the best theory that I heard was from an older Catholic priest in Washington who said he thought that what happened is in the old days in Catholic schools before Vatican II, when there was some serious fasting going on among adults, they used to use this rule with children where children should not give up meat or dairy or something, certainly not dairy when they need their milk and eggs and cheese and whatever. So they would tell the children, well, why don't you give up one thing like chocolate or Coca-Cola or something during Lent? And this one thing caught on. And then along comes Vatican II and modernizes a lot of these rules so much to the point that I've talked to Catholics who say that they have no idea what is still in Catholic canon law about what they're supposed to do for Lent. So thus, they remember this thing they were taught as a child, and thus the one thing takes over. I know the one thing rule or option is very popular among Episcopalians, and the Pope, just in a uh, comments made either today or yesterday, uh, in his first remarks, he said that people should give up trolling each other on social media that people for Lent should give up saying nasty things to each other on social media. 
which is a very interesting and thought-provoking idea. But it's a, another example of the Bishop of Rome promoting sort of this or embracing this one thing concept. All of this is fascinating, but to me, the most important news subject in all of this is the issue of confession in the ancient church traditions, whether that's uh, Catholicism, Orthodoxy, or to some degree even Anglicanism. What has happened to the penitential thread that is supposed to run through Lent? It's, after all, what the season is supposed to be about. And right linked to that is almsgiving. You don't see many stories this time of year about an increase in almsgiving and people trying to help the poor or help crisis pregnancy centers or some of the other logical things that people could be doing. We're talking with Terry Mattingly about media coverage of Lent. He's senior fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi and founder and editor of Get Religion. More with him, and we'll talk about that Confession Angle on Lent next. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start. The Foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes. Dedicated customer service and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House. Listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House. cph.org. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, teaches St. Paul. But what about those who cannot hear? Can they be saved? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness illuminates this topic and others, including hearing the gospel while singing the faith, how to listen to sermons, and proclaiming the gospel in foreign lands. Come, learn how the church confesses the word in words. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org witness. Education and edification. You're listening to Issues Etc. In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive word and sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide word and sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. 
I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about media coverage of Lent. Terry Mattingly is our guest. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, did you happen to read the president's Ash Wednesday statement that was posted on Twitter today? No, I, I did notice that it had some strong, I just saw like a quote pulled from it that basically had some strong religious language in it. Was the word repent in it? Yes, I want to read it to yeah. you and get your reaction here. He talks about uh, wishing everyone a prayerful and peaceful day. He talks about it for Catholics and other Christians. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the Lenten season. And then he talks about the imposition of ashes. And then he says this, This powerful and sacred tradition reminds us of our shared mortality, Christ's saving love, and the need to repent and accept the gospel more fully. Now, I thought that would bring a Twitter firestorm down upon the president's head, especially the repent part, but I haven't really seen much. It kind of just went unnoticed. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I wouldn't be surprised if there was something coming overnight, because after all, this is the man who, back when while running for president, didn't he once say that he, he really couldn't think of anything he needed to repent of? Something I seem to, to that remember a, a quote to that effect. And... By the way, while we're into kind of the the political aspect of this fallen world, I'm looking right now online to see if we have our annual photo today of Joe Biden appearing somewhere with ashes on his forehead. And this is not to mock him for doing that. I think he has every right to do it. He's He's a Roman Catholic. Yet at the same time, Biden has done a lot of other things recently that are very controversial with Catholics. So you have this this kind of photo op lint, which I think is pretty easy to contrast with the kind of uh, down to basics knuckles and bolts lint, the kind of the ironically, I almost said meat, of the real season, the disciplines of the real season, it's so easy to settle for ashes on a forehead photo or even even an interesting statement from a president who isn't exactly known for his devoutness, let's say. And besides, his own tradition is kind of liberal mainland Protestantism. He's a PCUSA Presbyterian in terms of how he was raised, and I don't know of anyone who associates the PCUSA with a consistent approach to Lent um, or Ash Wednesday. So interesting that that came out. I wonder if that could have something to do with the sort of Catholic in the vice presidency. I wonder if Pence, who still considers himself a Catholic while attending an evangelical church most of the time, I wonder if Pence went to an Ash Wednesday right today or is going to one tonight. Do you think that the dearth of information in the media on the connection between confession, whether it be kind of just a call to repent in a general sense, or the sacrament of confession and absolution, is due to the fact that the media just really doesn't get that if they don't get religion, or is it due to the fact that that practice is not there for the reporters to observe much anymore? Well, yeah, you can't take a photograph of it. I think the the big thing here, though, is that some of the mortal sins that people in the old days of Catholicism would be expected 
to go and confess some of those mortal sins are things that the media today either doesn't think of as wrong they may in some cases may even in a bizarre way see them as a kind of civic virtue or a, a sign of a liberal society there are things it's the word sin there are things that the catholic church and the ancient church would call sin that people today wouldn't think anyone like a Joe Biden who performed a same-sex wedding or two while as vice president, if I remember correctly, I'm sure that that's not on the to-do list for traditional Roman Catholics in terms of how they would like to see someone upholding the church's doctrines on sexuality and marriage. We then get into you know, obviously homosexuality, things such as supporting abortion. You get into all of the usual issues of sin that are one thing in church doctrine, but another thing in terms of the views of your typical editor in a newsroom. So I, I just think the word sin is to blame for not wanting to go after that story. And the confession story is important and should be covered anyway, in my opinion. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here, and thanks for your time. Tomorrow on Issues Etc., we're going to discuss polygamy in the Bible with Dr. Christopher Mitchell of Concordia Publishing House. We'll continue our series on a Lutheran response to post-Christian culture with Dr. Gene Edward Veith. On Friday, we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Hey, Todd, what have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com. Thecleaningauthority.com. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org.